welcome to From the Heart with Daniel Grimm, he, him, Don Lister, she, her, and our guest today, Jacoby Ballard, he, him, they, them. Jacoby is an author, uh, activist, a yoga teacher, and an incredible human being. I've just finished reading your book. I'm immediately going to reread because there was so much in it that was insightful and heart opening is the word I would use. I felt my heart open. Got lots of little post-it notes all the way through. Um, so welcome. Thank you so much for agreeing to join us all the way from Salt Lake City, Utah. Thank you so much for having me, Don. Welcome. So let's check in on how we are, what we've been up to since we last spoke. Daniel, what have you been doing? Well, I've been in a process of recovery from two things that I planned really badly. <laughs> I um, have been training for a long time to do a half marathon, which I did on Sunday um, and really enjoyed the experience. Um, but obviously, you know, following a half marathon, there's quite a lot of tiredness and exhaustion. And mm. then... Um, I also had to have some very minor surgery on Monday, which I thought was quite minor, but ended up being a little bit more than minor surgery. Um, so over the last two days, I've kind of been in a process of recoiling from healing, giving out so much energy and kind of being quite unprepared about how I was going to respond, particularly to the operation that I had to have done. Um, I think sometimes we really underestimate having something invade your body, cut it, you know, being put, being, you know, being under local anesthetic. And I kind of, I know from going to the dentist, you know, from other operations that I've had that my recovery time is quite slow, but I think I really underestimated quite how slow it was going, going to be and also how I was going to respond to it. So I'm coming from a place of feeling a little bit wounded, a little bit tired, <laughs> a little bit exhausted, um, and just, yeah, just needing to kind of have some low energy for a while. So I thought I'd share that because it's not my normal place that I'm at. But, um, yeah, it's a really useful thing to be reminded of the space that we need to heal and that actually we always need to give ourselves a lot longer than what we first think we're going to going to need. Mm. How have you been, Dawn? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Um, sorry you're still feeling rough. I hope you feel better really soon. Thank you. Um, yeah, I went swimming yesterday. No, not yesterday, the day before. So as our listeners know, I've had long COVID and menopause at once. And that's a thing. That's like a whole separate thing. Apparently, according to the menopause doctor, if you're menopausal and have COVID and long COVID, it's much worse. So I'm gonna I'm gonna just say that that's the case. It was definitely much worse for me. <laughs> but yeah, I've been quite ill as we know. So, but I suddenly got my energy back in the past month, and I've been walking more and doing stronger practice. And um, I went swimming. I was so excited to go to the pool. And but I mean, I'm so I'm still so weak that I went to the baby pool. <laughs> So I was in the little kids pool, you know, and it's like half the length that it's warm and I could only sort of manage a few lengths and then I'd have to stop and rest. But I'm so happy 
to be able to move my body again. And I had my nice little pink cap and my goggles. I looked ridiculous, like nearly drowning in the pool. I'm trying to teach myself front crawl currently. That's a lot harder than it looks for anyone who's never done it. I literally could manage about four strokes and then nearly drown. So I think definitely some lessons are going to have to happen. Oh my, honestly, people were looking, you know, it was not fun. I think lifeguard at one point was going to come and see if it was all right. <laughs> but no, good. I'm feeling very, very upbeat about um, my returning energy and the clarity and very um, empathizing now with people who are menopausal and who maybe have got long-term chronic health conditions I kind of really I have I now have that lived experience I wish I didn't but I did have and you know I, I think that brings a whole new layer of understanding so yeah that's it's been a good week yay swimming loving it Jacoby what about you what have you been up to um I've been parenting a toddler and oh. he is equal parts delight and terror. <laughs> you <laughs> never know what you're going to get. Um, he's completely delightful this morning. Um, it snowed a little bit here. And uh, he loves to eat the snow. He calls it a snow snack. Um, <laughs> and so he had some snow snacks. And um, also taking care of my, my dog had um, some cancer growth. And um, so she had surgery yesterday. And um, so just taking care of her and shifting our family sleeping arrangements and everything to accommodate her and this like little tube that's coming out of her armpit dripping Aww. body fluids. <laughs> oh, um, I'm just trying I'm to sorry. remain soft with her. <laughs> yeah. Sorry to hear about your dog. Dogs are family, aren't they? Yeah. I've got a really old scotty dog i don't know if you've ever seen one of those he hates everybody and he now he's so he actually smells you can smell him come into the room is that like he's is vile even though he gets a monthly like trim and scrub and all the rest of it he still smells and his his little legs are like going in all different directions he skids along the floors and oh it's heartbreaking isn't it when they're not well yeah so sad. how old is your toddler three years old Oh, I remember that age well. You'll look back at that fondly when they're 13, 14, 15, and so on. That'll be like, why can't I just make you portable again? That was so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. So let's crack on. It's great to hear how everybody is. Let's, let's get into the real subject of why we're here, to talk about your incredible book, A Queer Dharma, Yoga and Meditations for Liberation. And gosh, what to say, so much to say. Um, I really love the way you've entwined um, your understanding and experience around the Buddhist tradition within the writing. It really sang out to me as a long time Buddhist practitioner myself and uh, just felt really kind. It's the word I would use, really kind and really relevant. You know, I think the su subject you're gonna be talking to us about um, is, is, can challenge people a lot. And there's different ways of approaching that subject and the way you've approached it feels so loving is the word I would use. So thank you for the clear wisdom that shines through. I was just going to share from a queer person's perspective, um, reading your book 
was almost like diving into my brain and a lot of kind of things that have been swirling around for a long time connected and it really just made me realize one how important it is for us as queer people to recognize our individual journeys and the traumas and the stuff that we've been through but also the joy and the connection that we get from being queer human beings and being able to have such a vast experience and and that leading for us to be able to embody compassion and kindness but also be able to know when things don't feel right because as queer people we we know what it feels like to not be wanted or to be yeah. segregated or to be singled out or to be harmed in ways and 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 to and to get really in tune with that intuitive state within ourselves and be able to realize actually very early on when things need to change that's that's really what i got from your book Mm. so thank you for writing it (laughs) yeah yeah there's a there's a wisdom and a clarity that can come from that experience of of wounding right Mm. and that can serve us you know in our own communities and and lives but also in relationships of solidarity and alliance across other kinds of difference yeah absolutely Mm. so what 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 led you to to write this book it's probably we could probably do a whole podcast just on that one question <laughs> but I'd yeah. be fascinated to know how you know how it came about and how you what the steps were to 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 allow you to to produce this yeah i guess a couple of uh, different places one is just huge love and, and gratitude of my community um and then and then secondly so much anger and frustration at mainstream yoga. <laughs> I wrote the second part of the bat- book first out of a place of of rage. Uh, I would get asked constantly, I've been teaching queer and trans yoga since 2006, and I would be asked what um, what's different about queer and trans yoga? Why do you need a separate space? Isn't that exclusive? Aren't you perpetuating exclusion? Um, yeah. And, you know, to answer that question, it's not a, a single sentence. <laughs> so I started writing and it, that turns into to pages and paragraphs and, and, and chapters. Um, and then and then along the way, really getting um, deeper in the heart teachings and offering that to my community and all of the classes that I that I teach and just really seeing um, the timelessness of the yogic and Buddhist philosophies really impact people's lives and, and guide them through celebration uh, moments as well as um, moments of great sorrow. It was a beautiful. You... Oh, sorry, doll. <laughs> no, carry on, Daniel. Carry on. There was a really beautiful part right at the very start of the book where. Susanna Barkataki wrote the forward and I just loved what she wrote about 
you you recognizing that she felt uncomfortable in a retreat space and that you you knew that she needed to have someone to talk to or a bit of respite and you offered her that and 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 that i think is the pure essence of kind of what come across to me in within the book was actually these experiences that we all have if you really drop into that space of actually i recognize that that person maybe is feeling uncomfortable or they're feeling othered in some way or they're feeling like they don't belong here in some way and what can i do as one human being to another to make that person feel welcome in some way yeah and that is what we all need isn't it regardless of our story is to be made welcome by somebody else totally yeah i think that moment came out of you know oh, oh so many relationships of of friendship and being colleagues with people across difference and you know so many moments of not doing that of not showing up or not re even recognizing the discomfort um but i did know inviting her into um, the yoga service council that um, at that time it's transformed much over the many years of its existence but at that time it was a predominantly white space and I just know that in any predominantly white space people of color are going to be uncomfortable and mm -hmm. so I was kind of I was watching <laughs> for that and I also in so many yoga spaces as a queer person, as a trans person have been uncomfortable myself and have often been the only one as well. So I think, you know, that's, it's like a moment of recognition. Like I can see what that looks like on you because I've felt that in myself. Yeah. And yeah. what I would have wanted is for someone to extend a hand and create and, space. And I can understand what you were saying about, you know, that you wrote the second half of the book first because that that the experience of being that other person in the studio space or in the in the workshop or on the retreat where it's almost like this kind of feeling of just like your heart sinks because you think oh there's no one here that really gets me mm. and so do I have to keep explaining myself over and over and over again and correcting people in the assumptions that they've made about me to be able to get out of what I need from this retreat or this workshop right. or this class in this day? Right. Or do I just keep my head down and like yeah. keep it inside? Cause like, that's that's what we've been doing for the whole of our lives. <laughs> yeah. Or I trust that these people can't hold it or, you know, people in these bodies or in these identities have never been able to hold it. So I'm not even going to give them a chance, which is, you know, speaks to our own heartbreak and the, the opportunity for allies to <laughs> to show up and demonstrate uh, capacity to, to be there for us. And then I think also I learned through my training at Kripalu that came in four parts and I did that training over four years. I would open up a little bit more each time and share a little bit more of myself. And by the last time I was like full and vibrant in the space, not holding any part of myself back. And I could look back to the first module and be like, Oh my God, there was such suffering. Like I didn't, I didn't make a single friend from my first training. Whereas like so many other people were like gabbing it up during the, the like lunch breaks or evening breaks with each other. And I, I just felt so, so lonely. And, you know, part of that I had created myself from like, 
mapping my history onto these people that I didn't really know. Um, uh, so there's, there's both sides, right? Like the courage to show up as our full selves and to, to enter spaces, enter trainings when we can be fully present. And, um, uh, and, and extending an olive branch, like, you know, trying to see, can you, can you hold the entirety of me? Let's, let's see, I'm going to give you a chance. I was one, I was wondering when I was listening to you and, and when reading the first part of the book where you speak about some of the trauma you suffered growing up. Um, school and then in yoga spaces and in community what what was it can you say can you say for our listeners who haven't read the book yet do immediately go out and buy it by the way um, can you say what it was that you what was it that made you reach out and and find you speak about finding meditation as being a kind of source to support you you know, so many young people, when they are, from my, from what I understand, when they are feeling marginalised or othered, um, they will turn to quite destructive patterns of behaviour. What, what, what led to you taking up meditation? It was, it was pretty random, to be honest. I was in a small town in Colorado, and at the time there was really no yoga um, and very little meditation around um and i was part of a organization called uh student empowerment and the project we were taking on that year uh, my senior year of high school was to um, create a senior project where seniors of every following class would be able to spend a, a whole class period each semester to dive into whatever they were interested in um, and so there's eight of us that piloted that program that year and just kind of out of the blue, I chose meditation and found a meditation teacher in the next town over, um, I think at the help of my counselor. Um, and I, yeah, I went there every week and then I meditated on my own. And um, I think the first thing that made me stick with it, you know, I wasn't really in touch with my heartbreak or the, or my trauma or um, the difficulty of school. I knew that like it was hard to get through every day and to show up every day. Um, but the the first impact of my meditation practice was that I became an unstoppable free throw shooter. Um, it made my basketball game stronger. And I was a three sport athlete. And so I was like, there's something here. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to keep going with it. But also as I look back, it did teach me some resilience um, a, a knowledge that there's something inside myself that can't be bullied, that can't be assaulted, that can't be taunted or, um, or made fun of. Um, and, uh, you know, that was, I write about it in the book is saving my life because, mm -hmm. you know, if it hadn't been a meditation, yeah, it could have been, it could have been drugs. It could have been any number of things that would have been more destructive and I would have had to then recover from, from those choices mm -hmm. thank you for sharing that there's so much about um our society not enabling people to be with their feelings you know if the feeling isn't inverted commas a positive one they're shamed for it and so it sounds like what you learned very young was or not very young in your teens was 
that whatever feelings were arising, you were allowed to be with them from this place of compassion and you know, spaciousness and all the other things that, that went along with that. So sort of wonder what the world would look like for people if all young people were given the opportunity to learn to navigate uncomfortable feelings in their body. I wouldn't say that I was in touch with my feelings then. I mean, I was also, I took art every semester and had an outstanding art teacher. And that's where my feelings came out is in the pottery and on the paintings. And Tish, the teacher, never, never prodded about it. Like she held space and she was like unconditionally loving um, mm. with every student in the room from the jocks to the skateboarders to like just everyone. Um, and other students would sometimes ask me questions about it. Um, but that was like, that was really my channel for my, my feelings. Mm. Meditation just, um, taught me that there's something worth staying here for. Um, <laughs> uh, but it wouldn't be, and I, I think this is the case for many trauma survivors that until we're safe enough that we can't really feel, um, mm. the extent of what happened. And I, as long as I was in that small town, I wasn't safe. So you're so as as you quite as you quite rightly say, when someone is traumatized, until we're in that safe space, you just can't access those feelings because it isn't safe to do so. Right, it makes you more vulnerable. Yeah, you speak further on about your um, experiences in yoga studios, and as you said earlier, that your rage and anger around how you were treated and you know could you speak some more about that I think it's so important you know to hear what that was like for you because I think if, if we've not had that experience ourselves we can't even begin to know and I, I really my heart is open and sad to hear that you had such struggles yeah thank you I'm I was entering into yoga spaces both as a queer and a trans person, but also part of my queer identity is part of queerness, as I write about in the book, right, is about the politics of anti-oppression and solidarity and being there. And so um, it was both the difficulty of recognizing the microaggressions that directly impacted me, um, as well as the microaggressions that impacted people of color and disabled people and fat people um, who I was in relationship with outside of studio spaces. That, that is my, my community. Um, as far as being trans and, and queer in yoga spaces, um, just so many things, assumptions about like who anyone in the room might be in relationship with, assumptions about uh, my body and gender identity um, before I had medically transitioned. Um, I still identify as genderqueer um, and have taken um, some medical steps to, to masculinize. Um, I would be assumed to be a woman. And so, you know, often in yoga spaces, yoga spaces are flooded with, with women <laughs> and people to, that are some, assumed as women. Um, and so just a teacher coming into the front of the room and saying, hey, ladies, you know, something mm -hmm. like that. She's meaning to like be all encompassing. But in that same moment, I was like, ah, you're not, you're not seeing me. Like that is not a word that I use to, to describe myself. Um, other instructions about like who a yoga pose is for. 
um, or what kinds of gendered bodies are quote unquote good at certain poses or not, um, which is, you know, not only limiting to trans and non-binary people, but to cisgender people as well. Like no man or, or cisgender woman like fulfills all of the gender expectations placed upon them right? Um, a woman's body who's not flexible, is she less of a woman? <laughs> Even like, because that's expected uh, of, of a woman's body. Um, uh, yeah, and then um, experiences of touch and lack of consent um, being requested, you know, I would be in a classroom with a yoga teacher for the very first time, and they would like, touch my inner thighs, or, you know, somewhere else that was like, even my sacrum where I'm just like, don't come around my hips. <laughs> That's not, I don't even know your name. You don't know my name. Like you're already touching me in this very intimate, intimate space, which in so many of the classes, especially in New York city, like it's just, um, especially in that moment, right. In the, in the, from like 2000 to 2010, um, which is before many revelations about the sexual abuse in yoga communities had come to light. Um, um, that was just assumed that, that people could like that, that's what would happen in a yoga class that you can, a yoga teacher will touch you and, um, and they have the right to, <laughs> they don't have to ask, ask permission. And, you know, it's really disempowering, especially for any kind of trauma survivor. It, um, that's so triggering. Mm -hmm. It's so true. I, I mean, I'm not, I haven't had exactly that experience, but I have in, in my 20s, I remember being really pulled around, you know, and tied up by a teacher, you know, in with straps and ruling out thighs and pulling at my hips with straps. And as somebody who's experienced abuse in my past, it was very challenging. And I remember being in class and disassociating because it just felt this, I don't feel safe. And I did, I remember having the courage to speak to the teacher afterwards and just say, you know, I love your class, but it really doesn't feel good to be pulled around. And I was kind of laughed at. And I was kind of basically told to get over myself. And it, it really, it was very, it was hard. You know, I didn't go back to class, needless to say after that. But, you know, I think surely the practice is about including everybody and empowering everybody to have their own experience and to work inwards, not about conforming to some idealized version of what a yoga person is meant to look like. And actually, what, do, what is a yoga person meant to look like? You know, that's the most ridiculous thing. I mean, who says? Where did that nonsense come from anyway? Daniel, I see you wanted to jump in. I was just going to share something, actually, that I haven't shared with anyone before, but... I think it's quite an interesting thing to reflect on. You know, I, I, my privilege was being a male that presented as masculine on the outside. Um, and I realised that actually through a long period of my yoga practice, I, I was disassociated completely from what was happening I knew going there made me feel different in some way 
but I didn't realize that all of the the stress around are they going to come and adjust me when they adjust me what's that's good what's that going to do to me where how am I going to escape out of this moment I, I, I didn't realize how stressful that was being mm. in that situation because to me that's all I knew yoga was mm. I'd never experienced anything else other than that so when I got to rest at the end it felt great but now mm. gosh you know as soon as I started to question that specific teaching methodology and that specific teacher and I found other teachers who were much more hands off. Mm. I actually then had to completely relearn my whole understanding of what yoga was because I'd been led down a pathway that actually I thought this was what it was. And that was to be disassociated through most of it through fear. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Thank and you I for sharing. Um, I was just going to just ask. Jacoby, you know, you, you've worked for years with queer people in spaces that you're creating that hopefully make them feel welcome in some way. But are there sort of common things that you see running through with working with queer people um, that, that show up in the trainings that you do or, you know, the ways that people have reached out to you? Because I know from, you know, I, I have the fortune of, of, of running an LGBTQIA class with two other teachers. And so often we come back to trauma. So often we come back to our miseducation of how to deal with stress. And also quite interestingly I find with some of the more younger generation of people coming through there being kind of like a missing of like the history of what's happened and why some of us older people are absolutely probably absolutely barking mad compared to them do you know what I mean because we're you know we're constantly talking about this stuff that's happened to us all the time but actually we lived through the AIDS epidemic we lived through you know in the UK section 28 when there was a complete ruling put down through every single educational service that queer people did not exist in any way, shape or form. And you wasn't allowed to speak about them, you know, and the trauma from that is what, yeah. you know, now 25 years on, I'm just starting to process. Yeah. Yeah, certainly trauma. I, it's just um, inevitably in the space, right? If we look at the statistics of trauma survivors, where it's like a third of cisgender women and a quarter of cisgender men and up to 40 or 45% of, of trans people, it's um, inevitably gonna, gonna be in this space. Um, and that's just the statistics around the trauma of sexual violence, right? There's all kinds of other, other trauma. Um, I think also complexity of being in community always shows up you know like so often people will start coming to my class together with a colleague or with a lover and then something will go down and um, they either 
have to work out their shifting relationship in this space, um, which sometimes is beautiful and sometimes is really, really hard. Or they like split up the space or, you know, you can have it this week and then I have it the next week. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so the, just the complexity of being in community shows up. Um, the complexity of, of just our bodies, um, especially of trans people, but certainly cisgender people bring that too. It can be um, so tender to just be embodied and have an awareness of, of the body when that has been a site of violence um, mm -hmm. or a site of judgment or disregard. Um, uh, and then also joy. You know, I write about in the the joy section of my book, um, just the like the sass and the style and the reference points um, that like when we're together as as queer people is just like we let it flow. And in no other class that I've ever taught, you know, I, I, so like every other class when I'm teaching a in-person queer trans yoga class, someone's like talking back to me like, no, <laughs> no, you didn't. Or, oh, there you go or whatever um and in other like classes where it's like predominantly straight people there's like people just keep that in <laughs> um but you know it's it's delightful and it creates this sense of like we're not just like on our individual magic carpets we're like in the space together and we're, we're speaking it we're breathing it we're you know sweating it together It sounds beautiful. It sounds exactly how a yoga class and a yoga community should be, you know, real joyful. And that was one of the thing, notes that I've made, you know, I've written the, on the top of my list was talk about joy because, you know, that's, a, that's such a big part. I love, I was, funnily enough, when I was teaching this morning, I thought I love it when we have a giggle in the class. You know, I love it when there's a bit of interaction. I mean, maybe not obviously when we're in the middle of something, but you know, when there's something coming back and everybody's leaning in together and talking about something, it's it's beautiful. The the other things that I wrote down, which I'd like to just briefly chat about, was you know, you speak about how the importance of equanimity, which I think is so valuable, and and then you speak about forgiveness and letting go and I just wanted to read one little sentence in your chapter forgiveness releasing the burden and I kind of it really made me pause when I saw that I thought god that's exactly you know we carry so much don't we wouldn't it be nice to be able to like even if it's just for a moment in some space that feels safe enough to do so to put that down and, and this is a quote by Lily Tomlin forgiveness is giving up all hope of a better past and I just thought, wow, exactly. You know, we can't change all that's gone before. We can be informed by it. We can grow from it. We can also be rageful about it and have all 360 degrees. But in the end, we give up hope of what's gone before. Nothing can change. But the future is for us to decide and to shape. Um, yeah. So could you maybe speak a little bit around some of that? if you could yeah there can be this fear that we like will let go of the history or let go of the learning if we forgive um and that's forgiving is not forgetting um mm. there's such important 
lessons um, in any circumstance of harm where we learn what love is and what love is not, what truth is and what truth is not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, it's not dropping that. It's really important to retain that. Mm-hmm. And from a space of forgiveness, forgiveness is really about like what we do in our own hearts and that softening and releasing the burden so that like the next time I interact with you after you've harmed me, I'm not still tight and constricted and my shoulders up to my ears and like a snarl on my face. Um, because that doesn't feel good in my body. It's not even about you, right? It's mm-hmm. like, that's a rough way to live. Mm-hmm. Um, and how we may have been in relationship in the past informs how I want to be in relationship with you in the, in the present and in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, part of, part of the teachings are also an understanding of everyone's basic goodness. And so mm-hmm. someone who's creating harm is not necessarily doing that deliberately. Um, they might be, but the teachings around compassion say that hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. So if I, so understanding that deeply, if you're hurting me, that means that you are hurting. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, I have every right to create the space, create safety for myself. And can we still not give up on each other and our, the, the basic goodness? No one illustrated that better to me than one of my students in um, in the maximum security prison that I that I taught in. This um, the student with the deepest practice and the greatest commitment to study um, was someone who had killed someone, and he talked about that um, freely, and um, and just just seeing his transformation in the 14 weeks of my class with him and also just understanding that he was a teenager and killed someone when he was trying to survive. And um, now he was this man who was beautiful and graceful and compassionate and kind and full of integrity. Um, You know, our carceral systems teach us to give up on people all the time. And through that experience, you know, I don't think I could have had that experience and give up on someone again. Like we all have that transformation possible. But while you're having your transformation, I could be on the other side of the planet, right? Like we don't have to be doing that right next to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's this level of discernment that's important, both in, in forgiveness and compassion practice. Yeah, I think that's a really important distinction, actually, because I think sometimes people think, if I forgive, I have to let you carry on treating me X. And actually, it's really not about that, is it? It's about forgiving your actions and understanding where they come from and placing a boundary around what's acceptable around you, but doing that from a place of deep understanding and kindness. Yep. So, Daniel, you wanted to jump in, I could see. I was just going to um, add the what I really loved about the book was you you took sections or you took subjects that you talked about and you weaved in personal experience Mm. philosophy from yoga and buddhist experience there was also social justice awareness embedded into that as well and then you offered a really simple reflection or meditation at the end of each section for 
time for the reader to just take in where they were in that moment. And I think that's so such a powerful thing to do. And I noticed like Jeevan has done, done the same thing with his book as well, hasn't he? Where it's actually, it's, it's, it's littered with practice because ultimately we can talk about these things all the time, but we need to feel them within ourselves and we need yeah. to understand how we process them within ourselves to be able to take action with them. Yeah. And, and that really enlivens the teachings. Yeah, right? and they absolutely. Live through you. Yeah, because they just become, they, they just feel very static otherwise, don't they? They feel very, you know, they're not of our time, but actually they're completely of our time. You know, as we know, queer people have been around as long as people have been around. <laughs> <laughs> For times we were celebrated. Currently, you know, we're re-celebrating ourselves. <laughs> we found our voice again <laughs> and what what i was gonna ask you maybe was would you like to lead a short practice or meditation for us now to maybe reflect on what we've talked about sure sure yeah so for any listeners come into a place where you can get in touch with your heart um, for some of us that might be standing some of us that might be walking some of us that might be sitting or laying down I invite you to just feel into your heart and whatever is in this heart of yours right now. Perhaps some courage, perhaps some upset. Whatever is present, just turning a tender, loving awareness towards that. And considering any recent suffering that you've undergone it could be something momentary and subtle it could be something profound whatever you feel up for attending to compassionately right now and if you don't feel up for the big stuff the deep stuff then go with something much lighter out of compassion for yourself As you touch into a situation that involves some suffering for you, offering these phrases of compassion, trying to meet the suffering with attention and care. This is a moment of suffering. Suffering is a part of life. May I turn towards this unwanted, painful experience with compassion and allow it to expand my heart and deepen my practice. I'll offer those words a few more times. This is a moment of suffering. Suffering is a part of life. May I turn towards this painful experience with compassion and allow it to expand my heart and deepen my practice. Continue to repeat inwardly, this is a moment of suffering. 
suffering is a part of life. And I turn towards this unwanted, painful experience with compassion and allow it to expand my heart and deepen my practice. Now I invite you to consider the pain of someone else, maybe someone else who you have judged, who you've pushed away, shamed or blamed. Could be something fairly recent, could be something long ago. But with this understanding that hurt people hurt people, turning towards, towards this person's suffering as well. And offering a similar set of phrases. This is a moment of suffering. Suffering is a part of life. And I turn towards your pain with compassion and allow it to expand my heart and deepen my practice. This is a moment of suffering. Suffering is a part of life. May I turn towards your pain with compassion and allow it to expand my heart and deepen my practice. This is a moment of suffering. Suffering is a part of life. May I turn towards your pain with compassion and allow it to expand my heart and deepen my practice. And then let go of the words and just feel into your heart again. Notice if anything has changed in the last few minutes. If anything that was buried has presented itself, if anything tender is being felt Again, with just attention and care, holding it ever so gently, like a young animal that you might be holding in your hands. Take a deep breath into your heart. And exhale your, out your mouth with sound. And do that one more time. Any sounds that need to emerge, even those that you might think of as inappropriate for a meditation space, let them go here. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was really beautiful, really um, a helpful practice for us all. We all suffer every day in lots of yeah. small and big ways. And uh, it's good to know that we can lean into it and we can also choose not to lean into it if that feels best for us. Do you have time for one quick, more small question? Sure, one more. <laughs> one more. Obviously, you're going to have to come back more to discuss, but um, 
what 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 do you think we as yoga communities can do to become more inclusive and kinder what steps can we make from your point of view and your lived experience i think asking for feedback and being fearless with the feedback you receive my experience through the healing space that i uh founded and, and stewarded for six years that when we open the door to feedback, um, not only do we receive the feedback about our space, but all the feedback that has it, that's been like building up like a dam <laughs> um, from all the spaces. Mm. Um, and so then it's an opportunity to hold people's suffering that's, you know, very particular to the space and also goes beyond or expands before the, the space. Um, I think to, te to teach the philosophies um, relentlessly um, mm. to not just teach asana um, but you know the philosophies preceded the practice of philosophy of asana for a reason um, mm. and they're timeless as you said like they're they're always relevant there's always pain to attend to there's always joy to celebrate with um, and um, I think you know if even just teaching the ethical practices can really transform how we're in relationship with each other as a yoga community. Um, and then and then considering, you know, it, it might be a while before we go beyond the 200 hour model to be a yoga teacher, but those of us who hold the seats of teacher to remain dedicated students and just pursue, like make sure like every year or even more often than that, we're like in the student seat with another teacher. Um, which will keep us accountable and keep our learning fresh. Thank you. There's so much wisdom in what you've just said. You know, we're, we should always remain the student for sure. And uh, yeah, the word fearless really jumped out to me there. Perhaps, perhaps round two, if you will gently and kindly agree to come back, could be a deeper discussion and to our personal fearlessness and community fearlessness, because it's, it feels so relevant to me. Yeah, Daniel, do you that. want to, thank you. I'm really grateful. Daniel, would you like to finish up? Of course. Thank you, Jacoby, for writing the book. Mm. It's been a healing experience for me to read it. Um, thank you for your time today and for allowing, you know, your experiences to be able to support and guide others. Ultimately, for me, that's what our yoga practice is all about. Mm. So thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Dawn, for your wonderful questions and holding it together, as always. <laughs> and thank you for listening. Um, we really hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you have any feedback, if you want to ask us any questions, if there's anyone you want us to interview, or if you've got anything that you want to raise that you really disagreed with today, then please do just let us know. We're really happy to hear all feedback from you. So until next time, thank you so much for listening and goodbye.